The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if you got your Bibles or your devices, we're going to be in James, since we're going through the book of James together, chapter 3. So let's start how we usually start. Let's start with a word of prayer. Ask God to settle our hearts and minds and prepare us for his word. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this time. I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters uh, here in the congregation that have uh, inspired me, that have been there for uh, me and my family when we've needed help, when we've needed love, when we've needed support. Uh, And that's what you call us to when it comes to gathering together, but you also call us to open your word, to pursue you through it, to seek you, God. And that's what my desire is for everybody in the building this morning, everybody that can hear my voice, is that they desire to know you more fully, that they desire to understand you more, that they desire to have the wisdom that comes from you. Uh, so that we can see the wisdom that comes from the world and uh, the error that distracts us from you, God. Thank you so much for all that you've given. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ coming into the world to uh, offer justification for us, offer a way out for those of us that were trapped in the darkness of self. Uh, So I ask that you be with us this morning. Uh, and that you guide my words, that you guide my thoughts, and that you guide our hearts and minds as we hear your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I'm going to read the passage first. Uh, again, we're in James 3, 13 through 18. I'm reading from an English Standard Version. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That is the word of God. And we're going we're gonna to dissect this passage a little bit. We've been, as we started going through the book of James, we talked about the difference between reading Scripture and studying Scripture and digging deep. And so I want to kind of keep in that same um, air this morning as we talk about this, um, because I remember back to my first time reading through James, and I, I tried to think what I thought would have thought about this passage Uh, with only the knowledge I had at that time, or the only the understanding I had at that time. And it's real easy when you're reading this passage to go, okay, he's talking about the wisdom of believers versus the wisdom of unbelievers. 
But it's really important for us to remember when we did the introduction to this about five or six weeks ago, we talked about who the author was and who he was writing to, right? So who's the author? The author is James, baby brother of Jesus, right? Who was a non-believer who came to faith after everything that he saw, after he saw his brother raised and his brother came to him, right? We talked about how I wished I could have heard that conversation between Jesus and James. Um, he was writing to uh, believers in this passage. So that's how we're going to look at this today. I want to look at this as wisdom, uh, false wisdom and true wisdom to the believer. Okay, this isn't talking about, there's all sorts of crazy ideas out there in the world that we can talk about and dissect, but we're going to talk about to the, de- to the degree that we're believing the truth versus the false. That's really what we're going to look at today, false wisdom and true wisdom, and we're going to look at the outcomes of those things, right? He says right here in the, in the passage, false wisdom equals vile practice, uh, wisdom from above equals good fruits, Right? So let's start by talking about false wisdom. Uh, Scripture says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. James tells us in the passage here, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So he's talking to believers. So what's going on here? Every Uh, Paul talks a lot about um, newborn Christians, you know, feeding them milk like we feed Colin versus growing in your faith to the point where you can have that spiritual meat, right? Where you can understand more where you're deeper. And I think that's kind of what he's aiming at here, right? Because to some degree, I mean, raise your hand if you've got it all figured out perfectly. Fred, Fred's going to write a book. He's going to give that for us. Um, So to some degree, we're believing things about our faith, about the word of God that are not absolutely correct, right? To a certain degree, James is telling us here that those beliefs, if we are incorrect in our belief, in our worldview, it can lead to resentment, anger, bitterness, selfishness, and those things do what? They lead me away from God, The further we go down that road of unbelief, the further we get from God. And if he is meant to be our peace, if he is meant to be our purpose, if he is meant to be our everything, guess what? The further we get from him, the further we get from that purpose and that hope and that fulfillment. James uses three uh, adjectives here, if you will, right? He says that this wisdom that does not come down from above is earthly unspiritual, and demonic. What does that mean? Those false promises bring us to unneeded pain uh, that equate to those things that he just mentioned, that bitterness, that uh, envy, that selfishness. Does that scare you? Because it scares me to think that I am seen as justified, right, in the eyes of God. I've been saved, but to know that I can have beliefs and thoughts that will lead me further away from God, that will lead me to a place of having anger and, and envy and, and where I'm considering myself before my neighbors or my kids maybe or my brothers and sisters at the church. It scares me. Uh, have any of you had a personal friend who has come to some sort of theological belief and they've started acting really weird. 
They've started saying things that didn't make sense. I had a good friend uh, who got very into Messianic origins, and he got to the point where he was so deep into that, that he started saying things like he believed that people weren't saved if they were eating pork and stuff of that nature, right? Um, so verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom from above. And that parallels to earlier in James. Uh, and I preached on that a few weeks ago in 117, where he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I think that if he's talking about coming down from above there and here, there's probably a correlation. And I wanted to point to that, right? So he's talking about this wisdom not coming from above. What does that mean? He's, he's referring to how the wisdom that is true comes from God and it is righteous truth. It is the truth, right? Absolute truth. It's unwavering. There's no shadow. There's no change. So let's look at that into the context of the readers and maybe even today. Uh, who was this book written to again? Um, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. As the people were coming to faith in Jesus, they were being excommunicated from the synagogues. They were being thrown out of their families. They were being told, Jesus was not the Messiah. If you're proclaiming him as the Messiah, we can't have nothing to do with you. And they were leaving their homes. They, were leaving, they weren't welcome in their homeland anymore. They were having to leave their physical homes. Many families in that day and age lived in big, big homes together. Not big, but several generations lived together. They were literally being asked to leave their homes and they, and they spread out. Where were they going? They were the earliest Christians. I guarantee you, wherever they were going to, there were not many other Christians there at all, if any. And so here they are trying to lean into God, and they're moving out into these parts of the world where everybody else is leaning away from the true knowledge, the true wisdom. And he, James is writing this to say, remember, Remember, you have been gifted the truth. You need to lean towards it, not away from it, no matter what's happening around you. So let's look at it in our society. All sorts of worldviews out there today. There's relativism, right, where, we, where everybody believes that their own personal beliefs can be true, even if they're in contradictory to what the person next to them believes are. It's true for you. It's fine. It's true for you. There's all sorts of stuff out there. We could talk about it for hours. Have you guys heard of the one uh, moralistic therapeutic deism? It's, this is a real philosophical belief structure, and it's basically belief in a God or a higher power, but he's only there to give me what I need. So when I pray to him is when I'm in trouble, when I need money, when I, when I need the judge's ruling to be in my favor, that kind of stuff. We have a place we come on Sunday mornings and we worship and we bring our children. And it's real easy to know that in here, everybody around me is leaning into God, right? We're trying to do this to one degree or another. When I go into my home, right, I got the Bible on the shelf. I keep a Bible open on the entertainment center uh, where the TV's at in the living area, right? In my home, I, I try to encourage my family to lean towards God. But what happens when they go to the schools, when they go to the mall, when they go out with their friends, right? Most of society is not leaning that way. It's scary, right? I wanted to do, uh, if you guys have heard me teach before, I like to do case studies on something I'm talking about. I like to find another place in scripture where it's real easy to define that. And so this, 
idea of believers having varying degrees of wisdom that is correct, wisdom that's true. I wanted to find a good case study from scripture and I landed in Ecclesiastes. You guys studied Ecclesiastes? So it's written by Solomon, son of King David. And um, it's not the most uplifting book, right? Uh, I'm just going to read a few lines because I really want you to get a feel of the angst, right, that this guy's feeling. And, and so for context, right, this is a guy who was raised to know God, to fear God, um, and he's in a place of power and authority. Literally, he has everything a person could want. They, they're saying that he's probably the richest person in the world, right? And he's writing this, right, just to give a little bit of context, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains. Sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but its sea is not full to the place where the streams flow. Skip a few lines there. He says, uh, is there a thing of which it is said this is new? It has been already there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to the things uh, yet to be among those who come after. He goes on to say over and over things like uh, all is vanity. Uh, no matter what I do, I feel like I'm trying to catch wind. That's the Covey paraphrase. Um, he's no matter what it is that he's going after to find hope and peace and purpose in, it leaves him empty. And he does several things. And remember, this is the guy who people have said may be the most wise person of his day, right? Maybe the most wise person ever, people have said. I don't necessarily agree with that. You know why? He was married to 700 women. You know what that means? It means he had 700 mother-in-laws. Come on, that's funny. Aaron's not here. Aaron's not here so I can say that joke. So what, is, what does he do to find a peace to this vanity that's consuming him? He decides to go after wisdom. And now people that didn't have his kind of money wouldn't be able to do this, but he collected all sorts of writings and he started reading and studying. And guess what? When he was finished with that, he said, I'm still going to die and be in the ground and it's going to be nothing. He started chasing material wealth. He collected, he built, um, he built uh, gardens and all sorts of stuff. Uh, music. He hired hundreds of musicians. I know people whose idol is music and they can tell you every artist and what year the albums came out. He collected all sorts of artists and all sorts of musicians and he paid them and he hired them and they were constantly uh, ready to play at his ever whim. And guess what he said? All is vanity. I feel like I'm chasing and trying to catch wind. Uh, then he went to the wine, he went to the alcohol, right? Same thing. He said, I'm just going to live in satisfying the flesh. The wine didn't do it for him, right? He was still empty at the end of that time. Uh, women, he tried all these things and guess what? Nothing satisfied, not even a little bit. Uh, I'm going to mention the end of Ecclesiastes, but I'm going to go back to it. So if, and it's not in my notes, so remind me if I don't go back to it. If I start praying and if I haven't come back, someone yell at me. Where does Ecclesiastes end, right? Solomon comes to this belief. So in chapter 12, 13, he says the end of the matter, after he's done all this research and all this studying, right? And all these different things, trying to find purpose. He says, the end of the matter is this. 
fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment which every, uh, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So he's saying it comes down to what we know and what we do. Right? So let's talk about true wisdom. Get back to James over here. Uh, I want to say that true wisdom will lead us to following God's will and performing his work. He says that in the opening line, right? He says, who is wise and, understand, wise and understanding among you? And then he says, by, in 13 still, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Uh, the Bible has several types of literature. Uh, we just read it from Ecclesiastes, which is considered a type of wisdom literature. James has been called the wisdom literature of the New Testament. I found this article when I was researching and meditating and stuff. And I just want to point out something really quick. Uh, this is written by a theologian who's been a dean at a big Christian theological seminary uh, for many years. And he's talking about the purpose of wisdom literature and why would it be that they're calling James the wisdom literature of the New Testament. And he goes, it's, it's a long article. He goes into talking about how James, uh, having been a Jew, would have known the structure of the wisdom literature and how this is written kind of like wisdom literature, but a little differently, more in the form of a letter. But uh, here's his uh, main point here. In the Old Testament, ethical instruction takes several forms. It is found in the legal material of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Uh, it is embedded in the narratives of Genesis and the historical books. Uh, but the primary depositories of ethical instruction are the Old Testament wisdom books. So he's saying that the wisdom books are intended so that there are ethical practices that follow after. Um, and then he goes on to say about James, what I mentioned a second ago, right? That it is, uh, considered a type of wisdom literature, although it's in the form of a letter. It has a few differences such as him addressing people, calling them brothers, uh, identifying himself as the author, so on and so forth. <laughs> so if, if we see that theologians believe that wisdom literature is designed to give ethical instruction toward doing the works of God, uh, then uh, the knowledge demands, the knowledge that we have demands that we act in certain ways, that we behave in certain ways, right? That's what goes to follow. And it's re-emphasized in verses 17 and 18. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. All of those things are going to be played out, not in how I believe, but in how I walk, right? And how I act and what I do. James is showing us how two kind of wisdoms that we have here can have the exact opposite reaction in our mind and subsequently in the actions that are guided by the mind. Uh, I want to follow this thought process through scripture and show how belief or understanding have direct relationship to how we behave. And we could go all the way back, just like I did the last time I preached to Adam and Eve, right? The fall of man. Do you guys remember what the serpent said to her when he was trying to get her to take the fruit? I thought I did, but I can't do it word for word, so I'm just going to read it. 
Uh, so uh, when, he, when he talks to her about it, she says, you know, if we eat from that tree, we'll die. The serpent says, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, knowing all, right? So it's, again, it's about what we know. Even all the way back then, it was about a, a misconstruing of the truth in order to drive us away from God. If anybody knew God... It was probably those who walked and talked with him in the garden, right? Uh, Jeremiah 9.23. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Now, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let, him who pr- uh, but let him who boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So that's interesting. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, but boast in your knowledge and understanding of me, right? So there's a wisdom that amounts to nothing at the end of the day, and there's a wisdom that amounts to knowing God more and understanding him more. Who knows the, the, word, the first recorded words of Jesus in the book of Mark? Anybody remember? Mark 1.15, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So repenting would be an action. Uh, believe would be a thought. Repent would be an action. Uh, believe and repent are almost always tied together. They're married when they're talking about them in the New Testament. Again, it's this true wisdom followed by the believers working out their faith in good works. Like he says in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown. He's giving uh, an analogy of someone out working in their field, right? It's the works that follow the beliefs. So uh, it's funny, I was studying and the theme of James, I have my ESV study Bible here. My grandma bought bought this for me the year before she passed away. And so this is the one that sits on my desk that I always study from. And it says the theme of the book of James in here. I thought it was really interesting. I wanted to share it with you guys. James' primary theme is living out one's faith, being a doer and not just a hearer of the word. This theme is developed in the view of the social conflict between the rich and poor and the spiritual conflict between factions in the church. James rebukes his readers for their worldliness and challenges them to seek divine wisdom and working out these problems and getting right with God. Seek divine wisdom to work out, right? Again, and it, and it, it runs through the entirety of the book of James. In 1.5, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives unreservedly. Uh, in 1.18 and 19, he's saying, don't be deceived, Godly wisdom equals first fruits. 127, he says, religion is, that is true equals visiting wisdom's, widows, wisdom, widows and orphans. So it's this theme that comes back and forth. Uh, I, I talked not long ago when I was up here about how James hops back and forth in his book uh, on these different ideas and keeps bringing them back up. In 214, he says, faith without works is dead. I want to say that equals repent and believe or believe and repent. Last week, Ralph talked about the power of words, right? Uh, And James uses this analogy of the tongue being a very little thing. 
but having power over the body. And one of the analogies he uses is uh, the rudder of a ship, the tiny little thing hanging off the back of the ship, guiding the ship. But guess what? Somebody guides the rudder. James didn't talk about this, but there's a guy up there turning the wheel. He guides the rudder. My rudder is the tongue. My pilot is up here guiding the tongue. It's my mind that's going to reflect what's coming out of my mouth, that's going to reflect what I believe, right? So there's, this, there's always this problem of talking about faith and works. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but how do we discuss this without stepping on any toes? I want to point out, I mean, I think what James is trying to show that works are of huge importance and that they flow from what we believe. Nothing I can do will save me, but now that I've been saved, I desire to work for him. Do you believe that? Do you guys believe that? It's hard, but I believe it. So what can we do? What can we do to make sure our wisdom is the right wisdom that's from above? What can we do to make sure that the wisdom we're pursuing is the right wisdom and it's not the wisdom from out there that's earthly and unspiritual and demonic? Paul, in 1 Corinthians 1, uh, there's a whole section on wisdom in there, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there's one key point that he really hits home in verse 24. He says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Real simple. If Christ is the wisdom of God and that's what we're supposed to be pursuing, what do we do now? How do we do it? Proverbs 9.10 was written by Solomon, the same guy who wrote Ecclesiastes, right? You know what he says in there? The beginning, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So we see the truth about who God is and why there would be separation and, and, and then there is insight into him and who we are, and we follow through with that. He also wrote Proverbs 2. In Proverbs 2, Solomon, uh, it, the title in the ESV is The Value of Wisdom. He said, my son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So I'm told that there's going to be some work I got to do. If I believe him, there's going to be some work I got to do. You see, if, if, if the word of God tells me that Christ is in all and he is all and he is the wisdom of God, he's the visible image of the invisible God, that he's the creator of everything, the full, fullness of deity dwells within him. If he is the living word of God, if he's all of this, then the answer lies in us knowing him more and more and more and more. I have to be moving toward him. If not, if I'm not leaning toward him, I'm leaning toward that false understanding, that false wisdom that's going to lead to bitterness and envy and selfishness. There's a fine line between faith without works being dead and legalism, but, but 
But let me ask this. If I'm not trying to know Jesus more every day, do I really believe he is everything that this says he is? Right? James says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father light. James says that if you do not have wisdom to ask, uh, so my goal is to not be conformed to this world and the wisdom of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind that comes through pursuit, daily pursuit of God through his word, through his teachings, through corporate gatherings with like-minded people so that we can share the holiness and what he's done in our lives so that we can turn away from the distractions of the world that we talked about a few weeks ago um, so that we can not give way to that wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. This is, I believe this is in the heart of men that people know this instinctively. It talks about it in Romans, right? Um, I had a, a friend, a kind of mentor years ago when I was first trying to get sober. Uh, he's passed on. He never was a Christian, but we were at Starbucks one day drinking coffee and he said this to me. And it, it, and it echoes Jeremiah 9, that passage I, let, I read. He said, you know, Covey, I know people who have got sober and then they've started going to the gym and working out all the time and they've built these nice big bodies and they look beautiful but haven't amounted to anything spiritually. He said, I know people who have went back to school and gotten degrees and tried to seek God just like Solomon, right? He said, but at the end of the world, at the end of your life, he said, what really matters is how well you know God. That's a guy who was never a Christian his whole life that said that to me, right? So that's what it comes down to. I'm either getting bad wisdom or good wisdom. I want to pursue God through wisdom, uh, and I need help doing it. I need help, and God has given me all the help I need in his word. That's what we got to turn to. That's what we have to, to give ourselves to so that through it, we can know him better. If I took off your glasses right now, would you be able to read that clock? Are your eyes that good? Ralph, if I took off your glasses, would you be able to read the clock? Okay. Point being, <laughs> we buy glasses because it's a tool that helps us see, not so that we can like sit it on the bookshelf and look at them, right? They're nice. It's something, it has to be a tool, man. Jesus says that we're born again, that we have to be born again. These are my glasses, man. This is what I want to see the world through. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in the word of God like I believe in the rising sun, not only because I see by it, but because I see everything else more clearly by it, right? When the sun comes up, it's, it's not dark anymore. It's been illuminated. I don't know about you guys, but it's real easy to be distracted by that wisdom, so I need help. I need help. I need accountability. I need the word. I need brothers and sisters. Uh, I need life groups. I need that stuff, man, so that I can stay on track. And, I, and I'm, I'm real appreciative for all you guys. I'm real grateful. Um, this is why we want to not just read through these passages, but we want to dissect them. Again, I could read through that passage real quick in five minutes and be done with it. And I've literally spent hours and hours and hours this week and the week before going through and trying to learn more and know more and grasp more so that I can not only help others see it, but so that I can help myself and my family see it, right? It's all about Jesus at the end of the day. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, what we want is to know you more. What we want is that wisdom that's from above. What we want is to be in the light 
and no longer in the darkness. We didn't realize we were living in the darkness when you grabbed us and called us and saved us. But now that we see it, we don't want to live that way anymore. So I beg of you, I implore of you, help us. Help us to turn away from that worldly wisdom that leads to emptiness and deceit and selfishness and all those things that are not what you've called us to. Help us to live the life that you want us to live so that we can glorify you and enjoy you forever and eternity. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Oh, I was going to tie Ecclesiastes back into Proverbs 9 and 2, but I already went through Proverbs 9 and 2. Amen. (laughs) Amen.